Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first scripture is from Jeremiah, book, uh, uh, book 31, verses um, 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel of John. We are in the third chapter. We are reading chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. This is John three fourteen through 21, including John three sixteen. I invite you to open and hear with fresh ears. Listen now for the word of the Lord. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not are but those who do are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So late middle school, early high school, can't remember exactly when, my parents took me to my first rated R movie. I know, I know. And youth, don't think, it, don't go home and ask your parents. You can come Wednesday and see that you shouldn't do everything that I did then just because I'm the pastor. So the first, that first movie, what was it? The Blues Brothers. Anybody remember? 
early 80s, based off of a Saturday Night Live skit from the mid to late 70s. You had Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as Elwood and Jake Blues. Uh, and they're pairing as those who um, the skit grew into the movie. So as the movie opens, remember black hats, sunglasses, black suits, Jake gets out of prison. And the first thing they have to do is go visit the nun in the orphanage where they grew up. And so they do that. And what they find out is that they're getting ready to close the orphanage in which they grew up and the sister doesn't know what to do. So she asks the boys for help. And so they leave perplexed about how to get this money in just a few days. And so they promise the sister they would go to church, and so they go to church. And if you remember the Blues Brothers, one of the things about it is that there are little cameos all the way through the movie. Uh, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, uh, uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, many, many more. And one of those in this case is James Brown, uh, uh, R&B legend, and he is the pastor of the church. And so Jake and Elwood are there in the back, and he's up front, and the music starts, and the dancing starts, and there's people flying everywhere. And in the midst of it, only James Brown and John Belushi's characters seem to see this light, a ray of light that comes down and hits Jake, John Belushi's character, in the head. And from up front, music's going on. James Brown says, do you see the light? Do you see the light? And John Belushi says, the band. We got to get the band back together. And so from that point, that is the way that they then proceed for the rest of the movie to try to earn the money to help the orphanage. So the understanding of light versus darkness, of good things happening in the light, reinforced there and reinforced here in John. But before we get to the light and the darkness, let's take this into context a little bit more. We are in the third chapter of John, and right after Nicodemus has come to be and seek out Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he came to Jesus in the light or in the darkness. You remember? Darkness. Yes, at night. Correct. So he didn't want people to know that he was going to see Jesus. He didn't want people to recognize or give him hassle or grief or be uh, uh, ostracized by the other Pharisees because he went to see Christ. So he meets with Jesus, and you remember they have this conversation. Uh, Jesus tells him he must be born again, and he says, well, how exactly does that happen? And Jesus says, no, not literally, but of, of water and of spirit. And right after this conversation comes John 3 uh, 14, but we're focusing on 16 and 17 and after. And these familiar words, even if you're not Christian, you have probably heard these words, for God so loved the earth that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And then 17, we often leave off of that, but just as important, if not more so, that the Son came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's a pretty big deal right there. 
Christianity often gets a bad rap of being judgmental and exclusive because you need to believe in Christ to be in that family to the, the who's in, who's out question. And Jesus is here somewhat dealing with that question. God says, I have sent Christ so that the world may not be condemned, but that the world might be saved through him. Let's look at those two words, may and might. Well, what do you mean may not be condemned or might be saved? How about the world will be saved through him? The word might is the gift. The word might tells us that it, there is some responsibility on our part. What is that responsibility? Our responsibility is to respond to the gift of Christ. Grace is given to us, that is God's love to us through Christ. And our job in accepting that is to have faith and belief as we accept that. That is our part. But why not might? Why not just everybody is accepted and believed and believes in Christ, and then we don't have to worry about this who's in, who's out argument? I'll tell you why. Because the gift of the might comes through free will. God could have very easily said to humankind, you know what, let's just have them all know that I'm here and I'm their God and they are my people. Or when Christ came, let's have them all believe or know that Christ came and he is Savior of all. Then we don't have to worry about this other mess where we're on this journey and we're trying to figure it out and we get this piece here and we got that piece there, but is that really the right thing or is that what's the right thing? I don't want to be stupid. I want to be smart. I want to be faithful. I want to make the right decision. I don't want others to make fun of me. I want to be smart in God and in Christ. But God's plan is faith. Again, that's the might, because we get to decide. God doesn't want us to be pre-programmed to know that Christ exists, but rather to discover it on our own and use our head and our hearts, both of those, not one or the other, but both, not blind faith. Always recall that bumper sticker that said, Christ came into the world to take away your sins, not your mind. And I believe that. But at some point, we, through our journey, whether that's experience, whether that's our study of Scripture, whether that's the way we serve other people, the way we worship together, how we have encountered the world in our own faith journey, we are called to make a decision to come to Christ. And God wants us to make that decision fully of our own free will. Not because we're afraid of going to hell. I don't believe that fosters a deep faith. It can foster a shallow faith, I believe. But who wants to be a part of a God that we're afraid of, and that's the motivating factor in our faith? Rather, 
We come to Christ out of thanksgiving for what has already been done for us. That is the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the way that he raised on Easter morning, changing the world forever. God wanted that to be our choice. I know, but that's hard, and I don't want to deal with it. I know. It is hard. We've been given a gift of each other as a faith community and the other believers out there to help us through this journey. But what if it was different? What if God made it easy for us and Christ, Jesus Christ, would appear standing right here, waving to everybody, hey, it's me. He could see pierced hands. He could come and he could embrace each one of you and convince you that it was all real as the Bible said. What would change at that point? It would cease to be faith and it would shift to knowledge. You would know for certain that Christ existed as all of the promises have been made, all the scripture tells us, all of the great stories are true. Well then, there's no faith. There's, there's no element of us choosing. We know because we've seen. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to work. God wants us to struggle. God wants us to use one another to be helped by the prompting of the Holy Spirit to come to that decision on our own. Not knowledge, but faith is God's plan. Let's go back to knowledge. Okay, Christ is here. And then what don't you have to do? Pretty much anything else. We're here. We're on TV. Hey, everybody. Everybody sees Jesus Christ right here. Guess what we don't have to do? Go out into the world and tell others a darn thing. Why? Because we've got Jesus on our broadcast. And then it's not important that we go share our faith because we don't have to share our faith. We can say, look, there he is. He's real. Believe it. Do it. That's knowledge. Again, it takes away our basic Christian call if we would be given that which I think we want from time to time, that sure, that sure and certain knowledge that this is 100% accurate and true without a shadow of a doubt. And I don't know that any of us ever get to that point. But I think it's a gift that we are able to choose through the words might and may. That is our free will to experience the path that Christ has laid before us as individuals and as a faith community and as the larger children of God in the world. To come to Christ in our own time and place and understanding. But there's a warning too. Okay, well, I believe, so I'm in. Woo! That those who believe may not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what does it mean to believe? In John's gospel, if you remember, we talked about this last week, the, the other three gospels are kind of more similar, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John's a little bit different. In John's gospel, every time he uses the word believe, it is a verb. It is an action word. It is a doing word. In our Presbyterian tradition, we have a great tradition of 
learning, of thinking, of great scholarship, and that is at the core of who we are, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Where we sometimes get caught, though, is leaving faith in that intellectual box that we kind of open up when we hear about faith and continue to try to grow and try different hypotheses out and different theologies and understandings. There's an element to belief that is doing, doing. So uh, we heard about Billy Graham earlier in the children's moment from Debbie. We lost Billy Graham. Gosh, what an amazing journey. What an amazing life. Anybody go on a crusade, attend a crusade anywhere in their lifetime? There were several of the mornings or several of y'all too. Yeah, amazing. And in reading, um, I got a Time Life book on his life and was reading through that. And at one point he was being interviewed and the interviewer said, what do you think was different about you than all the other preachers out there that would seek to have the same kind of ministry and worldwide effect and uh, preach to these large crusades. What's different about you versus everybody else? And he said this, and I quote, if God were to take his hand off of my life, my lips would become clay. And he went on to say, I am no great intellectual. He said, there are thousands of men who are better preachers than I am. But you cannot explain me if you leave out the supernatural. I am but a tool of God. So here, Billy Graham says, I, I don't even really know. It's not me. It's not that I'm the best. It's not that I knew the Bible the best. As a matter of fact, most sources say that his wife Ruth often knew the Bible more so than he did. He didn't know all that. He wasn't the best preacher. And yet, look at the impact he and his ministry had on the world. I am but a tool of God, and it is only through God's grace that this has happened. And I don't really, at the end of the day, know why me versus anybody else. He said it. I'm not whatever enough. I'm not top tier in all these different areas, but it's simply through God saw himself as a tool. And so when we say we believe, it's not just a, a mental conversion. It's not, and it's not just a one-moment conversion if that was your experience. I think conversion can happen in a variety of ways. We can have the moment. We can look back over our lives and see God present through it. We can have continuing moments of interaction with God. And all of those, I think, in my opinion, count for conversion moments. But that might be a heart and head moment that is filled and overcomes us, and that is fantastic and amazing. But unless we continue that on, it can be an empty moment in time. If our children who come to be baptized don't ever those families never come back, then what did that really mean? If our confirmands just go through confirmation because they think that's the quick entry in and they don't come back, then what did confirmation really mean? It is about the knowing and the thinking and the theology and the working it out 
and the mental capacity, that part of faith is important, but so too is the doing. And so much easier to think and keep that in our head than the doing because people can see you doing. But that's also what we're called to do. So not just that we might come to Christ through these actions, but so that others would see it too. That we would see ourselves as a tool just like Billy Graham did. To stand and to be counted. Not to condemn anybody. Not to condemn the world. Think about that. We can often see God and a part of God's character as a God of wrath and condemnation. Here John is saying no. Christ is saying no. Right after this, we're in John 3, John 4. The Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus calls her out, knows everything about her. You've been with five men, and the man you're not is with now is not your husband. Boom. And he offers her living water instead of the water from the well. Then a few chapters later, in John 8, the Pharisees bring an adulterous woman who is caught in the act. No wiggle room, no maybe she did, no false accusations. They caught her. And according to the Mosaic law, by the law that God gave them, Moses and the Torah, the Old Testament, she should be stoned and executed. So they bring him before Jesus to try to trap him because that's often what they did. And they said, well, we're just, you know, this is what God told us. This is Moses' law. We're getting ready to do this. We just want to see what you thought about it. I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus says, let you without sin cast the first stone. Oh, got us again. And they kind of shuffle away. And so just Jesus and the adulterous woman are standing there. And Jesus says to her, I see no one is left to condemn you. She says, no, sir. And he says, I will not condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I will not condemn you either, even though you deserved it, even though you broke a law that you knew you shouldn't break, even though you were caught, even though this was your fault and your bad decision and your poor life choice, I will not condemn you. Now go try to do better and be better. So if Jesus in these cases is not condemning others, why do sometimes we think we are so arrogant enough that we can condemn others? If Christ isn't going to do it, then we shouldn't do it. You can speak out to that which you don't agree with. That's different. But that finger that goes out to somebody else and says, well, you're going to burn. You don't believe what I believe. Or this was your poor decision. You deserve to be where you are. Well, of course they do. We deserve to wear the full weight of our sin. But God said, no, I'm going to send you Christ to help you with that. Our calling is not to condemn others. It is to share our faith that others might know what we know, that others may know what we know, and that is the good news of Christ, that they are loved, that God's grace and mercy are for them, and that the world can be changed 
if we stop screaming at each other, not everybody's going to respond positively. We're going to learn from experiences, and you need to be safe and stay healthy. But it is not our job as Christians to condemn anybody who believes differently than we do in, in the realm of this kind of theological conversation. If it, those who are murdering other peoples, we condemn those actions. That's, that's different than this, what I'm talking about when it comes to belief and what others believe or don't believe. If Christ wouldn't condemn these women who absolutely deserved it, why do we think that we should do the same? So to believe means both that intellectual search and to do and to be. We must be able to be observed in the world so that others will know faith cannot be held just inside of us. It is meant to be shared. And when we start to do that, when we stand on that faith that God has given us through Christ and the Holy Spirit, then the world can and will change. Don Strobe, a preacher, tells a story about George Washington at Valley Forge, that horrible, desperate winter, so many of the soldiers near death, starving, dying, wounded, injured, no proper supplies. Washington is there, and a government official comes to visit him. And he says, gosh, you are doing an amazing job. You are a fantastic leader. Nobody else would be able to do this kind of leadership that you were doing. This is an amazing. And Washington says, never mind all that. What I need to know is where do you stand on that cause which I represent? He said, I don't, I don't need your flattery. Tell me where you stand on the cause which I represent. I need to know what you're going to do about this to help this situation. God, in that same way, is saying, I appreciate you coming to worship. I appreciate your prayers and your study, but that can be all empty if we're not doing and living, if we're not like Billy Graham, seeing ourselves as those tools in the world that will help others through their lives and to bring them to Christ. So as we walk forward into our Lenten journey ever closer to the cross in Jerusalem, our call is to stand up, to search that word believe and make sure that it's not just an empty word based on an experience that happened 5, 10, 20 years ago. That every day we are showing God again by what we believe, by what we do, how we worship, those we love the light that we share, that we are his servants and that we choose light and not the darkness. This morning, daylight saving times, you woke up in the darkness for the first time in a while. But you knew that light would come and you stepped out into it. Our lives are full of both darkness and light. That is the reality of our human condition. But when we find ourselves in the darkness, we are to seek the light. And when we see others in darkness, we are to help them seek the light. And in doing so, 
we can help this world ourselves, those we come into contact with in our world, not be condemned, but know the joy and love of our risen Savior. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.